Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. Looking for more information on the podcast? Visit litreading.com. Now please bear with us as we pay the bills. Our story begins shortly. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Cuidado. Es más que una palabra. Ha sido el corazón de nuestra misión por más de 25 años. Hoy, servimos a más de 2.3 millones de miembros y cuidamos atentamente a comunidades a lo largo del estado de Nueva York. Esto es Fidelis Care. Si necesita seguro médico, Fidelis Care puede ayudarle. Llame al 1-888-FIDELIS, TTY 711 o visite fideliscare.org. Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. There's a power that comes from giving without expectation of reward. That self-sacrificing spirit is the theme for Irish author Oscar Wilde's The Model Millionaire. A Note of Admiration Unless one is wealthy, there is no use in being a charming fellow. Romance is the privilege of the rich, not the profession of the unemployed. The poor should be practical and prosaic. It is better to have a permanent income than to be fascinating. These are the great truths of modern life which Huey Erskine never realized. Poor Huey. Intellectually, we must admit he was not of much importance. He never said a brilliant or even an ill-natured thing in his life. But then he was wonderfully good-looking, with his crisp brown hair, his clear-cut profile, and his gray eyes. He was as popular with men as he was with women, and he had every accomplishment except that of making money. His father had bequeathed him his cavalry sword and a history of the Peninsular War in fifteen volumes. Huey hung the first over his looking-glass and put the second on a shelf between Ruff's Guide and Bailey's Magazine and lived on two hundred a year that an old aunt allowed him. He had tried everything. He had gone on the stock exchange for six months. But what was a butterfly to do among bulls and bears? He had been a tea merchant for a little longer, but had soon tired of Pico and Sushong. Then he tried selling dry sherry. That did not answer. The sherry was a little too dry. Ultimately, he became nothing, a delightful, ineffectual young man with a perfect profile and no profession. To make matters worse, he was in love. The girl he loved was Laura Merton, the daughter of a retired colonel who had lost his temper and his digestion in India and had never found either of them again. Laura adored him, and he was ready to kiss her shoestrings. They were the handsomest couple in London and had not a penny piece between them. The colonel was very fond of Huey, but would not hear of an engagement. Come to me, my boy, when you have got ten thousand pounds of your own, and we'll see about it, he used to say. 
and Huey looked very glum on those days and had to go to Laura for consolation. One morning, as he was on his way to Holland Park where the Mertons lived, he dropped in to see a great friend of his, Alan Trevor. Trevor was a painter. Indeed, few people escape that nowadays. But he was also an artist, and artists are rather rare. Personally, he was a strange, rough fellow with a freckled face and a red, ragged beard. However, when he took up the brush, he was a real master, and his pictures were eagerly sought after. He had been very much attracted by Huey at first, it must be acknowledged, entirely on account of his personal charm. The only people a painter should know, he used to say, are people who are bet and beautiful, people who are an artistic pleasure to look at and an intellectual repose to talk to. Men who are dandies and women who are darlings rule the world, at least they should do so. However, after he got to know Huey better, he liked him quite as much for his bright, buoyant spirits and his generous, reckless nature, and had given him the permanent entree to his studio. When Huey came in, he found Trevor putting the finishing touches to a wonderful life-size picture of a beggar man. The beggar himself was standing on a raised platform in a corner of the studio. He was a wizened old man, with a face like wrinkled parchment and a most piteous expression. Over his shoulders was flung a coarse brown cloak, all tears and tatters. His thick boots were patched and cobbled, and with one hand he leant on a rough stick, while with the other he held out his battered hat for alms. "'What an amazing model!' whispered Huey, as he shook hands with his friend. "'An amazing model!' shouted Trevor at the top of his voice. "'I should think so! Such beggars are not to be met with every day! A trouvé mon cher, a living Valaquez! My stars, what an etching Rembrandt would have made of him!' "'Poor old chap,' said Huey. "'How miserable he looks! But I suppose to you painters his face is his fortune.' "'Certainly,' replied Trevor. "'You don't want a beggar to look happy, do you?' "'How much does a model get for a sitting?' asked Huey, as he found himself a comfortable seat on a divan. "'A shilling an hour.' "'And how much do you get for your picture, Alan?' "'Oh, for this I, I get two thousand. "'Pounds?' "'Guineas. Painters, poets, and physicians always get guineas.' "'Well, I think the model should have a percentage,' cried Huey, laughing. "'They work quite as hard as you do.' "'Nonsense! Nonsense! Why, look at the trouble of laying on the paint alone and standing all day long at one's easel. It's all very well, Huey, for you to talk, but I assure you that there are moments when art almost attains to the dignity of manual labor. But you mustn't chatter. I'm very busy. Smoke a cigarette and keep quiet.' After some time, the servant came in and told Trevor that the frame-maker wanted to speak to him. "'Don't run away, Huey.' he said as he went out. I will be back in a moment. The old beggar man took advantage of Trevor's absence to rest for a moment on a wooden bench that was behind him. He looked so forlorn and wretched that Huey could not help pitying him and felt in his pockets to see what money he had. All he could find was a sovereign and some coppers. Poor old fellow, he thought to himself. He wants it more than I do, but it means no handsomes for a fortnight. And he walked across the studio and slipped the sovereign into the beggar's hand. The old man started, and a faint smile flitted across his withered lips. "'Thank you, sir,' he said. "'Thank you.' Then Trevor arrived, and Huey took his leave, blushing a little at what he had done. 
He spent the day with Laura, got a charming scolding for his extravagance, and had to walk home. That night, he strolled into the pallet club at about 11 o'clock and found Trevor sitting by himself in the smoking room drinking hock and seltzer. Well, Alan, did you get the picture finished all right? He said as he lit his cigarette. Finished and framed, my boy, answered Trevor. And by the by, you have made a conquest. That old model you saw is quite devoted to you. I had to tell him all about you, who you are, where you live, what your income is, what prospects you have. My dear Alan, cried Huey, I shall probably find him waiting for me when I go home. But of course you are only joking, poor old wretch. I wish I could do something for him. I think it is dreadful that anyone should be so miserable. I have got heaps of old clothes at home. Do you think he would care for any of them? Why, his rags were falling to bits. But he looks splendid in them, said Trevor. I wouldn't paint him in a frock coat for anything. What you call rags, I call romance. What seems poverty to you is picturesqueness to me. However, I'll tell him of your offer. Alan, said Huey seriously, you painters are a heartless lot. An artist's heart is his head, replied Trevor. And besides, our business is to realize the world as we see it, not to reform it as we know it. A chacon son métier. And now tell me how Laura is. The old model was quite interested in her. You don't mean to say you talked to him about her, said Huey. Certainly I did. He knows all about the relentless colonel, the lovely Laura, and the ten thousand. "'You told that old beggar about all my private affairs?' cried Huey, looking very red and angry. "'My dear boy,' said Trevor, smiling, "'that old beggar, as you call him, is one of the richest men in Europe. He could buy all London tomorrow without overdrawing his account. He has a house in every capital, dines off gold plate, and can prevent Russia going to war when he chooses.' "'What on earth do you mean?' exclaimed Huey. "'What I say,' said Trevor." The old man you saw today in the studio was Baron Hosberg. He's a great friend of mine, buys all my pictures and that sort of thing. He gave me a commission a month ago to paint him as a beggar. Que voulez-vous? La fantaisie d'un millionaire. And I must say, he made a magnificent figure in his rags. Or perhaps I should say, my rags. They were an old suit I got in Spain. Baron Hosberg? cried Huey. Good heavens! I gave him a sovereign! and he sank into an armchair, the picture of dismay. "'Gave him a sovereign?' shouted Trevor as he burst into a roar of laughter. "'My dear boy, you will never see it again. Son affaire, c'est l'argent d'autre.' "'I think you might have told me, Alan,' said Huey sulkily, "'and not have let me make such a fool of myself.' "'Well, to begin with, Huey,' said Trevor, it never entered my mind that you went about distributing alms in that reckless way. I can understand you're kissing a pretty model, but giving a sovereign to an ugly one? By Jove, no. Besides, the fact is that I really was not at home today to anyone, and when you came in, I didn't know whether Hosberg would like his name mentioned. You know, he wasn't in full dress. What a duffer he must think me, said Huey. Not at all. He was in the highest spirits after you left, kept chuckling to himself and rubbing his old wrinkled hands together. I couldn't make out why he was so interested to know all about you, but I see it all now. He'll invest your sovereign for you, Huey, pay you the interest every six months, and have a capital story to tell after dinner. Oh, 
I am an unlucky devil, growled Huey. The best thing I can do now is go to bed, and, my dear Alan, you mustn't tell anyone. I shouldn't dare show my face in the row. Nonsense! It reflects the highest credit on your philanthropic spirit, Huey. And don't run away. Have another cigarette, and you can talk about Laura as much as you like. However, Huey wouldn't stop, but walked home, feeling very unhappy and leaving Alan Trevor in fits of laughter. The next morning, as he was at breakfast, the servant brought him up a card on which was written, Monsieur Gustave Nadine, de la part de Monsieur Le Baron Hosberg. I suppose he has come for an apology, said Huey to himself, and he told the servant to show the visitor up. An old gentleman with gold spectacles and gray hair came into the room and said, in a slight French accent, Have I the honor of addressing Monsieur Erskine? Huey bowed. I have come from Baron Hosberg, he continued. I beg, sir, that you will offer him my serest apologies, stammered Huey. The Baron, said the old gentleman with a smile, has commissioned me to bring you this letter, and he extended a sealed envelope. On the outside was written, A wedding present to Hugh Erskine and Laura Merton from an old beggar, and inside was a check for ten thousand. When they were married, Alan Trevor was the best man, and the Baron made a speech at the wedding breakfast. "'Millionaire models,' remarked Alan, "'are rare enough, but by Jove, model millionaires are rarer still.'" The model millionaire first appeared in print in the newspaper The World in June of 1887. The story's author, Oscar Wilde, was one of the 19th century's most famous authors and playwrights, penning works like The Picture of Dorian Gray and The Importance of Being Earnest. Late in his life, Wilde served almost two years at hard labor for being convicted of violating England's draconian laws against homosexual behavior. He died just over three years after his release from prison at age 46. Thanks for listening to Lit Reading. I hope you enjoy the stories. And if you do, please tell everyone you know. Who doesn't enjoy a good story, particularly when you're driving in the car or you have a few minutes to kill? It's so easy. Just put on your earphones and listen. And the greatest compliment you can give is a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts. It really does make my day when I see what you have to say. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Don McDonald.